Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. But this morning we conclude our series called Get a Job. And if you haven't been part of the series, I hope that you would read through the book of Job yourself. It is a, an amazing book. There's so much in there. Uh, and, and we're going to conclude it today. And I think that for, for me, preparing for this series, this is the one that I was both looking forward to and I was really scared of. And I, I really look forward to this because I feel like it is such an important topic, but I'm scared because it is such an, impo- uh, yeah, such an important topic. Basically, if you don't know much about Job, Job is this guy, right, in this, in this book. That's why the book's named after him, Job. And um, he goes through crazy amounts of suffering and pain. And the Bible actually tells us that this pain was undeserving. God himself says that Job was a blameless and upright man. He did not deserve anything that happened. And yet all of these things did. And so what we want to talk about today, what I want to talk about this morning, is how can undeserving suffering, undeserved suffering, and God, who is loving, coexist? Does that make sense? How can a God who is loving allow such unmentionable suffering and pain happen to this man? Now, you might not go through the level of distress that Job went through, but perhaps if you're looking into your life and you are going through a a difficult situation, it does cause a little bit of doubt to creep in. It's like, does God really love me? Is this how it's supposed to work? And it's a really important topic. And, and at the same time, it is not an easy topic. Uh, scholars have been talking about this for, uh, for a long time. And, and part of this whole problem of pain, if you will, is, is, is something that scholars have called a trilemma. It's not a dilemma, it's a trilemma. And they call it a trilemma because there are three statements. It's kind of like two truths and a lie. That's how I would describe the trilemma. Basically, uh, scholars uh, pull thing, this whole problem of pain into three statements. And I've got the three statements on the screen. And what uh, uh, there has been debate is how can all three of these statements coexist in, uh, in truth? And the first statement is this, that God is all-powerful and He can do whatever He wills. God is all-powerful. God is all-loving. He cares with an intense value for his creation. And the third statement, evil is a reality. Suffering is an all-pervading part of this world. And just looking at these three statements, you can see that there could be a little bit of a disconnect here. In particular, I think all of us would agree that statement number three is experienced and is true of our world. Evil does occur. Suffering does play a part in some of us nearly an everyday occurrence. There are things that we see, there are things that we experience, and it's painful. And so statement three must be real. But if statement three is real, can statements one and two be real as well? If evil is a reality and God is all-powerful, can God also be all-loving? But if God is all-loving, but evil is still a reality, can God still be seen as all-powerful? C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain, 
you either tell me what I've done wrong or you explain yourself. That's, I'm condensing about two chapters worth of uh, an angry man's rant into, into one sentence. But he was just basically saying, God, I want an audience with you. I basically want to go to court with you. I want to sort this thing out because it is painful, it is confusing, and I do not know what is going on. So you tell me what I've done wrong and I'll repent. Or if not, you tell me why this thing had to happen. Pretty crazy. And a few chapters later, just a couple more chapters later, God actually rocks up and he begins to speak to Job. And it would have been nice if God explained what was going on. In my mind, I'm like, maybe God could have gone, you know, if we, we've read through Job, we know what happens. It's like, well, you know what, Job? I had this really sinister character. His name is Satan. He rocked up to my courts one day. And he started to accuse me of getting worship through giving people stuff. And so I was like, oh, man, you're right, Satan. So I'm going to take away stuff from that guy. And so he took away all the stuff from you, Job. That's what was going on. I'm sorry, Job. I was having a really bad day. It would have been nice, right, you know, just to kind of understand. You know, in the midst of really painful situations, I know that for myself, if I just had clarity from God why I was going through what I was going through, why he was putting me through this, it would have made things a lot easier, more comfortable, more like, okay, yeah, I can actually trust and walk through this. But in Job, God doesn't answer Job's questions. He offers no explanation. I think quite often in our lives, God doesn't work through giving you explanation. He doesn't have to explain himself to you. But what God does in the midst of this really painful situation for Job is number one, God begins to unpack how he created the world. And he started to talk about creation. He started to say, Job, were you there when I created the world? Kind of a bit silly. You know, this guy, it's like he, he has lost everything. He's like, were you there when I created the world? He's like, of course not. He's like, where are you going to this? And he goes on to say stuff like, you see the birds? Yeah, yeah, I did that. See the fish? I, I did that. You see all the animals? You see how creation is held in balance? Yeah, I do all of that. He goes on and on about all of creation, and he talks about the different things that he was there for and had put into motion in the first place. And then in Job 40, verses 8 to 14, he actually says to Job, Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. What was that about? If I can put it in language that I understand, I think what God was saying to Job is, if you think you can do a better job than me, if Job can do a better job than me, then why don't you place? If you can work out what fairness truly looks like, if you hold the moral balance of the world in your hands, if you know exactly who to strike, when to strike, 
because of sin, then by all means, take my place. If you think you can do a better job than God, God was like, sure, try it out. I guess what God was trying to say was, He is God. And by definition, God is bigger and more able to handle the complexities of all of everything that is going on. This place has gone deathly silent this morning. I know it's not one of those funny messages, but you're going to have to help me here. If you are understanding what's going on, shout out an amen every now and then. It would be helpful. But you know, God was saying, hang on, Job. Your pain right now is making you short-sighted. You are thinking that the whole world is revolving around you. When right now there are things that are happening on the other side of the world that I've got my eye on and is a complex situation that goes back centuries. There are conflicts that are taking place between nations that do not have its root in a present, but in centuries ago. And I'm trying to bring balance, not trying, I'm holding them in balance. And do you want to try that? I am dealing with situations across the world with a single mom that is taking place right now and you think that your situation is the biggest thing in the world? I don't know what it is about us human beings, but there's something about pain that causes us to think that the world revolves around us. It makes us think that the situation at hand right now is the biggest thing and the biggest issue that should be handled right here, right now. So God, give me an audience. And God was saying, I don't need to give you an audience because I am God. And I am holding all things in the palm of my hand and you have got no way to even begin to comprehend what that means. There is something about the power of God that we need to remember in times of suffering. In fact, I would go so far as to say, knowing that God is God, which by definition means that He is all-powerful, is one of the most comforting things in the midst of a difficult time. I remember back to a, a really difficult, dark situation in my life where I had given up on hope, or I was giving up on hope, and it was, it was dark, and I did not know how to handle this. And in that moment, I found one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and that's found in Psalm 121, verses 1 or 2. And this is what the psalmist writes. He says, I look up. I look up to the mountains. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. See, in this situation that I found myself in, I, I found myself looking inward and trying to find solution within myself. It wasn't working. Because I couldn't find the ability to rise above the situation that I was going through. There was no strength. I couldn't change the world the way that I wanted to. I couldn't make things change. I was getting discouraged, and I was contemplating the meaning of my life and what was going on. And in that moment, I read this verse, and it says, I look up. I look up because there's something about pain that causes us to look in, that causes us to look down, that causes us to see and to think that what is going on here is all that is happening. But the psalmist writes, I look up. 
And when I look up, I see the mountains. And, 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 and in, Jewish, in, in, in Jewish thought, this psalm was read out as they were making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was set on a hill, and so whenever they were going to make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they were always moving up. And as they read, as they walked along this pilgrimage, they would look up, and that's what they would be saying, I look up upon the hill, the place of God's presence, the place that God places His name, which is no longer the temple in Jerusalem, but in our hearts. And so I can continue to look up and know that the presence of God is still here with me. And it goes on to say, where does my help come from? There is a cry that comes out, I need help. Because what is inside of me is not going to be able to handle the situation. And so I need help. And where does my help come from? It doesn't come from a soft, cuddly, nice, polite God. It doesn't come from a God that strokes your hair and says, there, there. It doesn't come from a God that is just simply nice. It comes from a God who is powerful. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And in that situation that I was going through, when I read those words, I was like, God, you are above this situation. And right now, I don't feel very good about it. Right now, I don't see any way out of it. But by God, I know that you are bigger than the situation. If in the middle of suffering, you stop seeing the power of God, you won't be able to turn to Him. You won't be able to gain anything from Him. You're pushing Him down and saying, I'm going to try to handle this. There's never enough inside of us to handle the pain of the situations that we face in our life. But I guess that brings us to a very difficult second question, because if God is all-powerful, and yet I'm still suffering in this pain, then what does it mean about God's love? See, going back to that painful situation in my life, what was going on was, it might sound a little bit juvenile to you, it was, a, it was a while ago now, but I was basically going through a breakup. And, and for some of you, like, oh, you know, young Nate, making stupid mistakes. I didn't make any stupid mistakes. I knew what I was doing. You see, what happened was that, I made some bargains with God because, I don't know, I thought that that's what you do as a Christian. You know, you go to God, you put in a few coins of tithes and um, a few worship songs, and then you go, God, I want this. So that's what I did. And so I, I told God, God, I'm not going to have a girlfriend for a year, even though I was desperate for one. And I said, then I want, uh, I'm going to do all of these things. So I was going to, you know, ask my pastor, I was going to, uh, uh, talk to her parents, going to talk to my parents, and uh, if all of them are green lights, that means that this relationship is meant to be, right? So I did that. I did all that stuff. I was like, I was really good. Uh, I, I made all of those, uh, I put all those things together. Uh, I asked the girl out. She said yes. Of course she said yes. And, um, and we dated for 10 months. And so in my mind, I thought, that this was just reward for me from God because of all the work that I'd done. You see, at that time, I was really volunteering at church. I wasn't paid, but I was there 
uh, at least in the offices one day a week, I believe, and, and I was probably doing church stuff at least four nights a week. I was in church all the time. I was doing this church stuff. In fact, back in my previous church, I earned a nickname called Mr. Centerpoint because I was doing everything for, uh, for the church. You know, it, it, uh, my pastor, who's a great pastor, he was not a detail person. So that was me. And so when things needed to be known, it was like, what, what are we doing? So let's talk to Nate. Nate will know what's going on. That was the kind of person I was. I poured in my heart and my soul into what I thought was kingdom work. And I thought that because of that, God should give me what I wanted. Sounds fair? Some of you guys are like, you're just pretending. You've done this. Anyway, I did it. And um, after dating for 10 months, she says to me, uh, Nate, we need to break up because we're heading in different directions. Immediately, I said to her that she needs to pray more because I've clearly heard from God and she hasn't. You guys pretend you're so holy. Come on. And I, I, honestly though, jokes aside, I, I was devastated because I thought that I had heard from God. And I thought that I had done all the things that I needed to do in order to get the blessing of God. And then suddenly God was talking to the woman that I thought I was going to marry and tell her, but not me, but tell her that this ain't going to work. I was like, why aren't you talking to me? And why can't we work this out? You get what I mean? It was really painful. And the thing that popped into my head wasn't whether God was powerful or not. I guess I always knew that if I truly knew that there was a God, and I believe that there is a God, like even taking suffering aside, a world without a God doesn't make any sense. Why are you even existing? Like, what's your purpose? There's no purpose in existing if there's no higher purpose to which you're called. And so for me, God always existed and His power was always true. But in that moment, I asked myself, can I trust Him? Can I ever trust God again? Because right now, I don't think He's loving. Right now, I don't know if He cares enough for me, for me to give the rest of my life for Him. Maybe we can somehow just coexist. Yes, there's a God, but I'm going to stay over here because I don't think I can trust God to care for me. That was what was going through my mind. I went through months of searching I evaluated everything about what I believed about God. Honestly, I took everything. I was like, do I want to follow this guy? Honestly, is God worth following? Because I don't know. I examined this as thoroughly as I could. And I found some stuff that changed the trajectory of my life. See, the first thing that I found out that is that God, if God is in love and yet he's powerful, he wouldn't have taken my rants. He wouldn't have taken my swearing. Yes, I swore. I hated God. I served, I continued to serve him because I was like, I'm not ready to completely change everything yet. I'll continue to serve, but I was ready to pull out. I had one leg out. And so in the midst of all of that, I was like, I'm still serving. I still put on my Christian face in church. It's the most stupid thing. What the heck's a Christian face? But I thought I was supposed to have one, and so I thought I needed to look perfect, so I continued to do so. But in my heart, I hated God. I hated Him for taking the one thing in my life that I thought meant everything to me. And in that midst of that pain, 
I shouted, I ranted at God. I said, I hate you, God. I, I said, I don't know why you would have done this to me, and I don't know why we say that you're a God of love, because right now I don't think that you're a God of love. But if God was despotic, if God was power-hungry, if God only existed for His own glory, He wouldn't have taken that from me. And when we look in the book of Job, there was something really interesting. Because in Job 42, uh, after all that was going on, uh, God actually speaks to, to his friends, Job's friends. And he says to them, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now, when you look at what Job had said in the prior chapters, there was some really confusing stuff. He was saying one moment, God is a God of justice and he will uphold me. Next moment, he goes, God doesn't know what he's doing because if he could see my plight, he would understand that what he's doing is not fair. And then next minute, he said, no, but I will trust in the Lord. Next moment, I don't want to trust in the Lord. This guy was having a mental, emotional breakdown and God says, this guy was speaking the truth about me because the truth about God is not cold and hard. The truth about God is relational and loving. The truth about God is that He knows your pain and He empathizes with it. It doesn't mean that He changes the situation immediately, but I believe that He still has a purpose for it, but He still empathizes. We cannot say that God is not love when, when, when He takes our nonsense. When He took my nonsense, in fact... Job's friends, the three of them, they were probably speaking closer to the truth about the character of God in an objective sense. God is the one who knows everything. That's what they were saying. God understands everything and he's holding everything together. That's what they were saying. But God said to them, you don't get me because you think that I'm a bunch of rules and principles and that's it. But Job understands that there's a very relational aspect to my being, and he was talking to that God. Let me just tell you that if you're in the middle of pain, God is not distant. God is taking every tear. God is taking every cry. God is taking every rant, and he's saying, I know. I understand. I feel. I'm sorry that this is taking place. He's there. But the second thing that I learn about my loving God is that my pain had cut away everything else that God had already been doing in my life or had done in my life. And I was just evaluating my life in the light of this one painful incident. How many of you are looking through your life through the lens of your pain right now? How many of you are seeing God solely through the lens of what you are going through right now. Because that's what I was doing. I've forgotten everything else about my God except what was happening in that moment. And as I continued to search, God was saying, you've forgotten about that. And you've forgotten about that. And can I just say to you this morning, I, I just have this real sense that there are people here who have forgotten about God's love, not because it's not real, but because your pain is overwhelming. 
that the situation that you're going through has taken over your awareness and is the lens that you see things through. But I believe that God wants to come into your life right now and He wants to show you that He continues to love. What other God would send His only Son to die on the cross for your sin? What other Creator, what other God, big, powerful, amazing, overall God would say, I'm going to die for my own creation? What other God would say, you are going to suffer in eternal hell, which is not something that I'm going to allow, and so I'm going to give my life in replacement of yours so that you would be able to enter in. You see, the Bible tells us again and again that Christ died so that we could be called righteous. And righteous simply means having right standing with God. It means having a relationship with God. What other God other than a loving God would want to call us into relationship at the cost of His own life? What other God would want us to be close to Him other than a God who is love? He doesn't need us. And that was probably the thing that started to sink deep into my heart. Uh, God wasn't being mean, but He said, You have nothing to offer me, Nate. You have nothing to offer me. You did not have a righteousness that was useful to me. You did not have, have skill sets that I did not in the first place give to you. You have nothing to offer me, but yet I still choose you. I still value you enough. I still put worth upon your life because I love you. In that time, something else went deeper into my heart and there's this word in the Bible that appeared a few times and I never used to think about it I never used to get around it but in that season God began to really stir this word in my heart and it's the word adoption it is the word that that God uses to describe as one of the analogies of what he does and he says that through Jesus we are adopted into his family God didn't save me to use me. God didn't save me because of some ultimate plan and so that he could move you around like a pawn on his chest set. He adopted me so that I could become his son. And then the Bible goes on to describe this. It should be mind-boggling, but somehow I think we get too familiar with it as Christians, but it says that we are co-heirs with Christ. What does it mean? It means that when God looks at us, He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see everything that we've done wrong. He doesn't see everything that is broken within us. He sees us in the same level as Christ. How crazy is it that God's adoption places a value upon my soul that I was searching for in the first place. I thought that that relationship would give me the love that I needed. But God was saying, you were looking for it in all the wrong places. It is found in my family, in my house, in my family, as I've adopted you. You're not a second-class citizen. You are a co-heir with Christ. God is both powerful and able to deal with that situation that you're in, and He's also loving enough to sustain your life. Perhaps not in the sense that we always see it. In fact, when we looked at C.S. Lewis's quote, the key point is that God is not so much consumed with your happiness as a loving God. He's consumed with your flourishing. And sometimes for me to flourish, I need to go through pain. 
That situation that I went through uh, those years ago wasn't because God was trying to inflict pain on me. It was because he was seeing that some things needed to fall off my life in order for me to flourish. Does that mean that he caused that pain? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Does it mean that he orchestrated those events so that he could break my heart? I don't think so. I think the desires in my heart was already driving me towards that place. And God simply used it to remold me and to bring me into a place of flourishing. Honestly, that difficult season of my life was a turning point in my journey. But it does bring up one final point. How do we trust God? See, the thing about trust, as I found out this week, is that trust is a confident relationship with the unknown. This is a definition that I found that really spoke into my soul. Trust is a confident relationship with the unknown. And what I found is that many times in my life, I didn't trust God. And so I was orchestrating events. I was telling God that I wouldn't have a girlfriend for a year, even though, if you know the story, I was practically dating a girl a year before we actually made it official. We were hanging out all the time. It was like, yeah, I just put a different title just so that I could feel like I was doing what I said I would do. I would ask my pastor. She was a great Christian girl. I was a great Christian guy. Still am. And, um, and so, yeah, all these little check boxes made me feel like I was in control. I never trusted God. I didn't know what it meant to trust God. And when I found out that trust is a confident relationship with the unknown, it means that you're not in control. It means that you don't know how things are going to work out. Live Church, I love you, but you could go bust. I'm no control over what's going to happen to us. That freaks me out. Should I go get a job at another church that seems to be doing well? Honestly, I don't know. Over the last week, I've been struggling with certain things that I can't work out in my mind, in my heart. There are things that are sitting heavily. And honestly, I don't have solutions for them yet. And I don't know if I ever will. It is unknown to me. So how can I have this confident relationship with this unknown? This pain has a way of being unknown, doesn't it? That's where most of the pain comes from. How is this going to finish? Where am I going to end up after this situation? How is this going to work out? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So how can I be confident if I don't know? Well, I don't know how things are going to work out, but I know a God who is still sovereign and He's still loving. That's where trust comes in. I'm not telling you that you need to trust God more, but I'm, I'm telling you that you need to have a deeper revelation that God is powerful and is able to handle whatever you throw at Him. And also have that revelation that, you, that He loves you so much. He's already done and demonstrated so much of His love for you. And so that is trustworthy. That is trustworthy that He has already demonstrated His love and He's already demonstrated His power and He has already made great and many promises in the Bible. Some of you need to pick up your Bible 
people in those times of difficulty because there are promises in there about how God wants to help you flourish. Not to make you happy, but to make you flourish. To give you a meaning and a purpose in your life. This book became so precious to me because I saw in those words that God is powerful and that He is loving and that my future is secure. In Romans 8.28 it says, For we know, for we are confident that God is able to make all things work for the good of those who trust Him and are called by His name. In the midst of my pain, I looked at that verse and I saw, I can be confident, not in the outcome of the situation, but in the character of my God, that He has already called me and that He's working good for me. If we can get the band up this morning. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. I don't know how to say it in a way that will help you. I only know how to say it in a way that I understand. God loves me. He loves me intensely. He's demonstrated it. He continues to demonstrate it. Your struggle is never meant to be done alone. It's always meant to be done with God. That difficult time in my life showed me how alone I had made my life. I pushed people, I pushed God away because I thought somehow that if I, I don't know, achieve certain things in my life, gotten certain accolades, gotten certain things and, and I get a great girlfriend, great wife, great family, great job, somehow it would speak into my worth. But through all of that, I realized it was all a smokescreen. Your grades, it's just a smokescreen. Your job, it's just a smokescreen. Your relationships, it's just a smokescreen. It doesn't show you any tangible worth about yourself. It doesn't. It, it can't. See, what happened in that relationship of mine is that I tried to find worth in another human being. I sucked her so dry that she had to run away from me. We did not have discussions or conversations about our relationship. She just said, I'm dropping this guy and I'm going. Why? Because he sucked so much life out of me that I need to find myself again. She even left my church. She went to another church. She's doing great as far as I know. Facebook, thank you. I'm not a stalker. But in that season, I found that all the things that I was trying to hook my identity on was on shaky ground. And what happens when your identity is on shaky ground is that the first time that you find resistance in your life, you don't know where to go. The first time you hit a bit of a roadblock, a bit of a hurdle, you're like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can cross this. I don't know if I can get past this. I don't know. That's where I was for six months of my life. I didn't know what to do with myself. But God began to build me up and to speak into me. And the hallmark of that was that I knew that He had already 
saved me. That he had already given me salvation. And that is something that I want to offer you this morning, not because I can offer it, but because I can show you and be a guide to you as to how you can receive this loving, saving relationship with God. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 verse 9, if we confess with our lips and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that day salvation will be yours. Your future will be secure. Your identity is going to be revealed and continue to be revealed. That is what is taking place in this moment. And so every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to say this prayer and every person repeat after me. But for you, if you really want to have this saving relationship with God, make sure that you are connecting your heart. Make sure you're connecting your heart with this prayer. Dear Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Let your love wash over me. Wash over my sin. Wash over my past. Reveal to me your love. Reveal to me who I am. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.